Welcome to Can, Can We, we talk, talk About this? this? I'm your host, Amberly from The Power of Birth. And I'm your producer, Rajelle from Bee Designs. And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes the entire podcast. This is not a place for small talk. We're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. If you subscribe to our website, you'll receive a free printable PDF file with over 30 motherhood affirmations. I wrote these affirmations at a time when I needed them and realized they could actually help others. You can use them as a bookmark, put them on your mirror, bedside table, fridge, or even the back of your toilet door, wherever you want, to help remind you of your strength, give yourself compassion, recognize perfectionism, rage, guilt, overwhelm, and enhance self-belief, self-love, and self-acceptance. You can give them to your family and friends, it would actually be the perfect gift for a new mum. Words have power, and I hope you'll be kind to yourself in this hard but worthwhile time. Head to thepowerofbirth.net to subscribe and download your free motherhood affirmations today. Only 2% of Aussie mums home birth and even less free birth. Research has shown more positive birth experiences come from birthing at home in a familiar environment with familiar support people and almost zero intervention during the birth. Home birth has been considered dangerous, yet the statistics tell us otherwise. So today I'm chatting to Natasha Yarrington, a rural mum of four who birthed in a hospital and talks about her individual experience of trauma and reasons for opting for a home birth supported by a private midwife to then leaving medical care altogether for her last birth and free birthing her fourth bub on her own. If you've ever wanted to know what a home birth or free birth looks like or why people choose to do this, this episode is for you. Okay, Tash, tell us a little bit about yourself and about life on the farm and what a day looks like for you and where you're at right now in life. Yeah, so I'm Tash and um, my husband and I have a dairy farm uh, near Wingham on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. We milk about 120 brown Swiss cows. And we are, we're both generational dairy farmers. We both come from, from local farming families. And we're currently on my hubby's farm. He's sixth generation on this farm. So his family first settled it back in about 1852. So, yeah, that's pretty special to us um, and to be raising our kids. So we've got four beautiful little cherubs. Um, Alexis is 13. Riley is 11. Jack is 9. And Layla is almost seven. So yeah, raising our kids the same way that we were raised on the farm is pretty, pretty special and important to us. So I milk morning and afternoons. Um, I kind of joke that I'm the rouse about, I kind of do all the other odd jobs in between. We're currently homeschooling the kids. So we're almost finished our fifth year homeschooling. So that's been a big journey in itself. But Having the kids at home with us on the farm, yeah, like is just the way that, that we wanted to raise our kids. So, yeah, a, a general day I'll get up and milk and then come home and do brekkie and do a bit of schoolwork with the kids and then we'll go and do some farm jobs or we might garden or cook or, you know, those sort of things. Maybe some more schoolwork after lunch and then I milk again in the afternoon. 
That is full on. Did you choose to homeschool because schools were just so far away? Like how rural are we talking? Yeah, so in terms of rural in Australia, we're not that rural. Um, so we're only we can actually see the streetlights of a night from town, from the edge of town. So we're only, as a crow flies, we're less than 5Ks. Um, so about 10 minutes to town. So And town is about 5,000 population. So it's not a huge town, but it's not tiny either. We've got plenty of services there, like a main shop, um, lots of little shops and that sort of thing. And then our closest bigger centre is Taree, which is um, 20 minutes, about 20, 25 minutes from here. Um, and that's where like the hospital is and like all those bigger services and stuff. So yeah, in terms of being rural, we're not overly rural, but um, Layla was born the year that Lexi started kindy. And so I had like a newborn and then like a two-year-old, a five-year-old and a six-year-old starting school. And because of just where we are and the school that we'd chosen for the kids to go to, they had to, she would have had to swap buses to and from school. So I was driving because, I mean, you know, I didn't want a six-year-old on a bus with that changeover. So that was probably, um, yeah, that year was probably the lowest in terms of my mental health and capacity. I just was not coping. Taking her to and from school and I wasn't milking every morning and every afternoon back then because Rod's dad was still with us on the farm then, so he was helping out a bit more. But um, the days that I did milk, and, and then having to get her to school and home again and stuff, it, it was just, it was really full on. And I really noticed my mental health declining. And I just thought I can't, I mean, I know it sounds really selfish, but I'm like, I just can't, can't continue this. And everyone said, oh, once you've got two at school and two at home, it'll be heaps different. And I didn't really find that it was that second year. Um, Cause there's only like a school year difference between the girls, the older two. So yeah, I felt like that year was still the same. I was still driving to and from And in that second year when Lexi was in year one, she developed a fair bit of anxiety and depression around going to school. And that was really hard. You know, she was seven. Um, That was really hard. And we had lots of friends who were homeschooling. There is quite a large homeschooling community here. And I just thought, you know what? They're going to learn so much more from being on the farm with us and working side by side with us. Um, Let's just give this a crack and see what happens. And when something's working, you keep at it. So here we are five years later. Lexi goes into year seven next year, um, which not really much changes, but it's a little bit daunting, you know, having a a high school um, kid. Uh, But, yeah, so the younger two kids have never been to school. Um, The youngest hasn't even done preschool or anything. She's been, yeah, just with us the whole time. Jack done a couple of years of preschool. Um, Yeah. How's Lexi doing now? Um, from starting homeschool and all that sort of thing. Yeah, it was amazing. So in that first year when we homeschooled, like I said, Jack was still at preschool and I remember taking him into preschool, you know, maybe six months into our, you know, that first year of homeschooling and the, the preschool teacher who, you know, was one who Lexi had had and I remember her pulling me aside and she just goes, oh, you've got your girl back. And I said, I know, right? Like, I probably didn't realise just how much those couple of years at school, especially the second year at school, had had an impact on her and her personality. Um, yeah, the the display of anxiety and depression that was coming through from her. So, yeah, look, I'm not saying, you know, that that we have every day perfect um, as, as a <laughs> yeah. homeschooling family because, you know, that's just every family. No day is perfect. And I'm, 
I'm certainly not perfect. You know, I have days where I pull my hair out and I'm like, that's it. You're all going back to school. I'm done. Um, (laughs) But hey, like that's reality of being a mum, right? I'm sure we all sit there some days and go, that's it. I'm sending you back to where you came from. So (laughs) I wanted to ask you, your husband, he, is he kind of out and about on the farm all day or is he sort of like you where he's coming and going in the home and out of the home? Yeah, it really depends on what's going on. Um, so generally he's, he's outside more than me. Um, if there's, there's days where like, there's a bit more going on, you know, I might not do any sit down schoolwork with the kids and we're just out on the farm all day as well. Um, but yeah, he's generally out more. It's raining here today. So he's kind of been around the house a bit more today. So it just kind of depends on the day. And again, that's something that I've always loved about farming is the flexibility of it. And no two days are the same other than milking morning and night and doing the the everyday jobs. Um, Yeah, everything else can can fluctuate and change during the day. So but you know, like farming's amazing and it's and it's great and you know all of that. But th- there's a lot of um, a lot of things to it that are really challenging and hard as well. Like the last two years, we've been through drought, fire, and floods, and um, you know all of that's been really difficult on me um, and Rod personally and mental health wise. And then having to nurture our our kids through that as well has been really challenging. Um, you know, like they're not babies anymore. They're not naive to, to what's going on. Um, and so that was really hard. I, I remember um, in the middle of the drought and we'd had a little bit of rain, but it wasn't very much. And I went and checked the rain gauge and it was nearly full. And I was like, no way we've had that much. And I said to the kids about it and Jack, who would have been about seven at the time, just started crying and he goes, oh, I filled it up with water because I thought that that would... <laughs> I thought that that would mean that the grass would grow and everything would be okay. And I'm tearing up now because I just, you just don't realize how much it has an impact on them. And, you know, as I sit here listening to the rain, like, man, if we'd had this two years ago, it just, yeah, it would have been so different, but we didn't. And, and it is what it is. And droughts are really hard and, and floods are really hard and the fires are really hard. Um, but, yeah, again, as a mum and, you know, that's all part of life, um, it's, yeah, it's really challenging to have to deal with, with nat- what nature throws at us as a farmer. Um, and then, you know, there's there's other things thrown at us that aren't, aren't nature's fault and low milk prices and, and all sorts of other things as well. But it's all part of, I hate this word because it was just thrown around so much in the last two years, but it's all part of becoming a more resilient person and dealing with the unprecedented times. Um, and I hope that out of all of that, you know, my kids will be more resilient little adults um, that they've had all that, yeah, throughout their life. And, and that's just part of their journey and their story now too. Yeah. Well, going with what you said there about milk prices and things like that, like I remember this being a very hot topic um, a year or so ago. What can we do then as people living in suburbs and cities and things to support our farmers? Yeah, definitely. So we supply a small, well, it's not really that small, but a, a milk co-op um, called Norco, which um, is, oh, yeah. yeah, so they're the only Australian-owned, farmer-owned co-op now. Um, so we supply them. So um, yeah, the best thing that people can do is is buy buy Norco for us, but certainly just buy branded milk, branded cheese, branded yogurts, 
um, because the home brand stuff is just what has taken the price out of our industry. So by supporting um, smaller independent or, or, you know, a cult like Norco um, is by far the best. And then kind of the next step is any of the branded stuff, just trying to avoid the, the non-branded um the non-branded, you know, supermarket milk. There's lots of there's lots of pockets of areas that have uh, an independent in their area. Um, I won't name any because I know I'll, I'll miss out on some. But all across Australia, there's there's lots of little independent um, farmers bottling their own milk on farm, or or you know things like that. So if you're in a region where you've got that, absolutely support them because that is going you know directly back to that farmer. But I think it's it's you know. Um, as I get older, I'm realising that it, for Rod and I, you know, we were both brought up on farms, but a lot of people weren't. And the gap between city and, and farm or city and rural, it, I think, is actually widening. And it really makes me sad because um, people, I, I just want people to have an understanding, you know, of what farms like and um, what we go through and, and, you know, what it takes to produce a litre of milk. Um, and hopefully people can, you know, pr- appreciate it a bit more and, and just think about, and not only milk, you know, all food produce, you know, where their food is coming from and, and grown in Australia because it's not just a matter of going to the supermarket and picking it up. And, you know, like I mentioned before, as farmers, you know, we face lots of different things that nature throws at us and, and industry and, and all the rest of it. So, yeah, just support your local farmers and be curious. Ask where your food comes from. And, yeah, just try and stick to, to branded stuff. Yeah, well, great to know. And, I mean, this is stuff that people don't generally know either. But I love it when you talk about farm life and farmers and supporting farmers. But And even with the challenges that come with it, I can hear, like, the fire and passion behind it. And, no, and I think that's what helps people change is that, you know what, we could be doing better. Um, and we could be doing better supporting our farmers. So I appreciate you um, sharing that then. Yeah, thanks. Let's start right at the beginning, Dash. (laughs) When did you decide to start a family and how was that journey for you? So Rod and I had been together a few years um, and we, you know, talked about kids and, and marriage and stuff. Um, he's got two boys from his previous marriage, so I kind of had a little bit of somewhat experience there with with having them. We unexpectedly fell pregnant when I was seventeen, so I was quite young when we got together, and that that pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. And even though it was unexpected to fall pregnant, I think it really made us realize, well, hang on, we've been talking about this for so long, and you know, maybe the timings, you know, wasn't quite right. And of course, you know, we were upset and all the rest of it. And we thought, well, hang on, why don't we just, you know, jump in? Maybe we are ready. So we fell pregnant reasonably quickly after that. And Lex, we had Lexi. So I was 19 when she was born. And yeah, so becoming a mum for the first time, like everybody kind of feel a bit shell-shocked and thrown into it. Being a young mum then, was that quite difficult? Like, looking back, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't really remember, to be honest. I I remember feeling isolated and and isolated because I had no one around me who was having kids, really. Both my sisters hadn't had kids at that time. You know, yeah, I was only 19. A lot of my peers from school were going off to uni. They were just in a completely different phase to where I was at in my life. So I felt isolated 
and you know, it was quite challenging from that point of view. And then also throw in, you know, um, so I worked on my parents' family farm before moving in with Rod. When when I was pregnant with Lex, I kind of moved in full-time with him. And, and so then having this expectation around, well, where do I fit and what's my role? Um, I'd gone from working, you know, 40-plus hour weeks and, you know, really long days outside all the time, all that sort of thing, to suddenly having a baby and, you know, nobody told me, well, can I pack up this baby and take it down the farm? Can I, you know, like I just didn't really know where I fitted or what the expectation was or, or any of that. I was pretty determined not to let a baby change my life. And I remember um, dad came into hospital when I had her to visit and, um, and jokingly said, oh, we're heard recording next week. So um, on a dairy farm, we usually heard record once a month, take a sample from each cow's milk and test it. And that had always been my job since I was about 12. Um, and I turned around to dad. So Lex was born on the Wednesday and that was the following Monday. And I turned around to dad and said, yeah, I'll be there. And he was like, no, I'm joking. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. Like I don't want having a baby to change my life. Um, so we normally uh, heard recording the afternoon and the morning. I was like, I'm not doing the morning milking because I've got like a five-day-old, but I'd done the afternoon milking. It was two hours. Yeah, I was, you know, five days post having a baby. Mum looked after Lex. She brought her over. And, you know, a lot of people might think that's completely crazy. And looking back, I think, gosh, why wasn't I resting? <laughs> but, yeah, it it was quite, um, yeah, just the juggle, I suppose, and, and working out where I fitted in and, and that sort of thing. But I think I really... Th- thrived being a mum I that was all I ever really wanted and absolutely loved you know having a baby and right so you had your first two births you had said before that they were hospital births yeah um and then you went on to home birth and eventually free birth which we will get to but I wanted to ask what how were those birth experiences in the hospital for you yeah so with Lex I was probably you know I was quite young and my husband's, um, both his previous children had been born via cesarean. So he hadn't really had a huge understanding, I suppose, of, of natural birth. Um, and neither did I. And, I, yeah, it was quite young and naive. And I just, you know, you just do what the doctor says. You just go along with what you're told. So I was induced at nine days post-dates, um, the only reason being post-dates, uh, you know, looking back, I wish that I had done more research, looked into it more, you know, all those sorts of things. But, you know, like I said, you just go along with what you're told. So I was induced with her. <clears throat> it was a really long day and night. Um, ended up, I think my body was starting, things were starting to move anyways. So my waters ended up breaking naturally and then I had an epidural and Lexi was born. So I was induced at like 7 o'clock in the morning and she was born at um, just over 4 o'clock the next morning. So it was a really long day and night and I just there was just so many things. The midwife I had was, you know, quite an old midwife who literally told me to be quiet and, you know, just so many things that I look back and I just, you know, but I didn't know any better and and. You know, Rod didn't know any better. You know, we just, well, this is just what you do, right? And at the end of it, everybody says, 
oh, you know, how was the birth or whatever? And you go, oh, well, I don't know. Like I've got nothing to compare it to. Um, and I've got a healthy, beautiful baby. So I've got nothing to complain about, right? And it wasn't until probably having going through all of my four births and now looking back across how much my, my mind and um, my ideas around birth has changed so much in that, you know, six years of, of birthing four babies. But when I fell pregnant with my second, so there's only 17 months between Lexi and Riley, when I fell pregnant with her, I'd done a bit more research, I'd, you know, just kind of read into a little bit more about induction and stuff and I was like, you know what, I didn't need to be induced. There was no reason to induce me other than it was a Tuesday and it was convenient for the doctor to induce me on that day. And I was finding my power and my voice. Um, And so, yes, I was 20 when she was born and, and I remember, you know, maybe, I don't know, 20 weeks pregnant saying to the to my GP, I don't want to be induced with this one. I'm not, not doing that again. And she was like, oh, we'll just have to see what happens. And I was like, no, it's not happening. Unless my baby is in absolute danger, I'm not doing it. Cows, you know, we know we have cows in the herd that just every year continually when they have a calf, they're post-dates. And that's just them. That's their body. And they still go and birth a healthy baby. So I just was like, oh, well, I'm just one of those cows. I'm just a post-dates girl. <laughs> So I, um, yeah, I was very strong about that. So Riley was six days um, past my due date um, and I went into spontaneous labour, laboured at home uh, before going up to the hospital. So it was a completely different experience because with Lex, you know, I hadn't I hadn't laboured at home. I went into the hospital, you know, and then it started type thing. So yeah, I was getting a few contractions one afternoon. Lexi and I were at the dairy. It kind of become part of our routine um, for us to go up and feed the calves and help out of an afternoon. So we're up there and we've got this in the office, um, this kind of bench table. And I remember leaning on it and swaying side to side and Rod come out and I think nearly fainted. Are you in labour? Like, you know, what's going on? I'm like, it's fine. You know, we'll just get through the afternoon, um, which we did. And then rang mum and she come and got Lex and we my waters broke at home before we went into hospital. So I think we got up to hospital about 10.30 and she was born just before 1am. So I wasn't there for very long, but I remember, and it wasn't until walking into the hospital that I felt myself tense up. And I thought, I remember thinking, oh, like I'm back here again. And, you know, I hadn't recognized or um, labeled, I suppose, my trauma from that first birth. But I walked into the room and, and they were like, well, we don't need to examine you. You're definitely in labor. And this midwife came over and she looked at my notes and, and my name and Rod and I weren't married then. So it was still my maiden name. And she was like, oh, your parents such and such. And I know your parents. And I, I literally, I didn't know her, but the fact that she knew my parents and knew my family, knew me, I remember my body relaxing. And she was just a completely different midwife to what I'd had first time round. And as far as hospital births go, it was pretty good. You know, Riley was pretty quick and I didn't have any drugs with her. That was the other thing. I was pretty um, strong on, you know, the the drugs that I'd had with Lex because um, I'd had everything with her. I remember just feeling so out of it that I don't remember a lot about her birth and I didn't want to have that experience again. I wanted to feel and I wanted to be present so yeah her birth was very different and I remember thinking at that point if we have any more kids I'm not doing it here why do I need to come here to do it so 
yeah, and then when we fell pregnant with Jack, um, I remember saying, I think actually it was even before we fell pregnant, I said to Rod, if we have any more, I'm, I'm going to home birth. And, um, yeah, <laughs> his initial response was something along the lines of, oh, gosh, you know, you're turning into a hippie or something like that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he was, he was quite taken back and, oh, you know, we'll see about this. Because hospital births are the norm. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And I, what, what I picked up with you chatting about those first two births was that environment was very important to you and you needed to feel like you could do your thing. And having a midwife, for example, in that scenario, telling you to be quiet, like, oh, I can't tell you how much that enrages me. I know. And, and me looking back, I think, you know, like – I've always been quite a determined person and I've, you know, mum and dad always joke, you bullet a gate and you, you know, you do what you want anyways, you don't listen to anyone or whatever. But in that moment, in that really raw, vulnerable moment, I, I, I had no voice. I couldn't say, I couldn't respond. I remember Rod speaking up for me and being like, well, what do you think she's trying to do or kind of reacted? And I was just like, just stop, like, just everyone shut up, you know, like, yeah. but I just... I, I didn't have my power, my voice to say anything. And looking back, it enrages me so much as well. Like I feel so sorry for that 19-year-old that felt so um, disempowered that she, she couldn't say anything or do anything. Um, thankfully for me, I've, I've gone on to have births to, I mean, we didn't just have children um, to to get through my trauma, but certainly, you know, my third and fourth children and births have done that for me. So I can somewhat deal with my, my trauma. I know that a lot of mothers don't get that opportunity. So yeah, that's, that's been, I'm really thankful for that. There is this kind of, oh, I hear it through the grapevine a lot of the time. Uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in being able to have these conversations and have all different stories in, you know, the whole picture, the whole spectrum and being able to have these discussions with people, whether, whether you're a person that is anti-hospital, <laughs> we know that those people exist. Or if you're a person that's like, no plan cesarean, um, nobody can tell you the right way to birth. And I think by having conversations like this, talking about this power imbalance in, in the birth room and things, this can help a woman understand, oh, okay, I don't want that. How do I not have that? How do I have a positive experience in a hospital or outside of a hospital? And I think that that's really important to consider. And this is why we need to be talking about it. I know exactly what you're saying. And I couldn't agree more. If someone says to me, oh, I, and I've had people say, oh, I could never home birth. I had a planned cesarean. Great. Good on you. You made an informed decision with the information that you had in front of you at the time that was best for you, your baby, your body, and it was your choice. I'm happy for you. That's great. And I think that's where, you know, we really need to understand each other's stories and stuff. Well, let's get to your home birth then. So baby number three, yeah, who is now nine. So this yeah. is going back nine years ago. So you mentioned in the hospital, like, nah, this environment is not for me. I'm birthing at home. Did you prepare for a home birth? Like what did the lead up look like? Yeah, so when Riley was born, so she was born at 12.56 a.m. And um, Rod normally gets up to start milking about 4, 
So I remember, you know, in hospital and he stayed with me for a couple of hours and then I think we kind of had a bit of a snooze and then he was like, all right, I better go home and milk. So, yeah, having a dairy farm that, you know, is is very um, labour intensive and we've never had, apart from a couple of workers, we've never really had anybody on the farm with us. And, and so there's no, there's no paternity leave or maternity leave. You've just got to keep <laughs> no, going. No, absolutely not, just straight yeah. into it. So I really struggled with that because he came home and milked and then he had all the jobs to do. I, I can't remember. I think he probably didn't – there wasn't enough time in the day for him to come back in in the middle of the day and then come home and milk. So he didn't come back in until after milking that night. So he literally saw our baby for a couple of hours when she was first born and they didn't see her until she was nearly 24 hours old. Now, I know that's not a big deal to a lot of people, but for me and for us, I was like, I don't want to do this alone again. I want you by my side and I want you to share in those moments because – you know, those first few newborn moments, you don't get back, they're gone. Um, and so that was a really big factor um, in, in choosing to home birth and, and or at least, I mean, at that stage, it was more a curiosity around home birthing. Um, so when we fell pregnant with Jack, I, you know, intensified the research and, and starting to look into it more. There was, I had a couple of friends locally who had home birth, so, you know, chatted to them about it. Um, you know, research what, you know, uh, private midwives were around. We found one who we really connected with. She was still over an hour away. So, I mean, that's not necessarily a rural thing though. I mean, I know there's not huge amounts of home birth midwives out there. So she done all of our prenatal um, stuff with us. She'd come here to the home and, and check on us and all the rest of it. I absolutely loved that the girls were involved in that. So they would have been... I think Lex was nearly four when Jack was born and so Riley would have been two. So when I was pregnant, you know, instead of having to take them to the doctor and, you know, wait with two toddlers essentially and all the rest of it, it was just a far nicer experience that the midwife came to us, the kids could be here, Rod would be working, he'd come home for our hour checkup and he'd go back to work again. Just in terms of our lifestyle and stuff, it just fitted so much better. So in terms of what we, you know, prepared and stuff, um, yeah, just lots of meetings with the midwife and making sure that we were all comfortable and all the rest of it. The biggest thing for me was the hospital's only 20 minutes away and as the midwife said, well, if something drastically goes wrong, you call an ambulance so you're actually only 10 minutes. If you're in the hospital and you have to have a cesarean, an emergency cesarean, it's often longer than 20 minutes before you get taken up anyways. So I was like, yep, yeah, okay, cool. I can logically, you know, work with that type thing. I read so much during that pregnancy. Jack's was my uh, worst pregnancy in terms of, of morning sickness. And so I had a lot of bed rest with him. And how do you do that running a farm and two other kids? <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, some days I would hardly move and, you know, Rod would just have to, you know, look after the yeah. girls and stuff. You just kind of got to do what you got to do. And, again, you know, being your own boss, there's flexibilities around that. He didn't have to ring and say, hey, I can't come in today because the wife's sick and i got to look after the kids. But there are those times where you've just got to, yeah, you've still got to milk every morning and afternoon. Um, so, yeah, that was a big thing for us, having him at home and sharing that experience with him. So, 
yeah, just getting ready. And, and like I said, I read a lot. I loved reading birth stories and, and home birth stories and just imagining what mine was going to be like and how that was going to play out. That kept me occupied. Um, the plan was kind of to, to have the girls here if they wanted to, but they obviously were still quite young. So my, I had it, I'd had it, the third is always the wild card, right? <laughs> I, um, I'd had a fair bit of pre-labor leading up with him. So I think there was about three times that I called the midwife and keeping in mind that she was over an hour away, called her going, yeah, we're on, you know, I've been having contractions for, you know, a couple of hours and they're just starting to ramp up. I think you need to come. And she'd come and she'd check me out. We'd spend a bit of time and we'd, you know, have a cuppa and sit down and chat. It was always of a night. And then um, I'd be like, oh, I'm really exhausted. I'll go get some sleep and wake up the next morning and still be pregnant. <laughs> so, again, that was like really Like labour would stop? Yeah, it would just stop. Yeah. Ah, yeah. So just yeah. kind of spontaneous labour that never never actually, you know, progressed. Um, so then the day he was born, my waters broke at about 3 o'clock in the morning. And I will never forget, I remember being asleep, but literally hearing like a, a pop and going, oh, like, what is this? And literally waking up, my waters had broken, and I was like, okay, we're on, this is it. Um, so Rod went to milk, the midwife came down, my mum come and picked the kids up once they'd woken up, and, yes, yeah, so I laboured all day here at home. We had a birth pool that I was in and out of all day. And although, you know, we'd done all this research and, and, and you know, I was so happy with the fact that we were home birthing, I just had this naive thing that oh, it would just take a couple of hours and it would be fine and, and whatever. And it was, it just took a lot longer than what I expected. And I was really just, especially being so sick with his pregnancy, I was just so over being pregnant that I, I just struggled with that whole labor of, well, just hurry up, just, you know, come on. So he wasn't born till six o'clock that night. Um, so yeah, it was a really long day. And um, there was a couple of times I remember saying to the midwife, I can't do this. And she said, well, do you want to go to the hospital? And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm not doing that. Okay, all right, I can do this. Um, so, yeah, so I'd laboured pretty well all day in, in the water, in the birthing pool. And then, um, yeah, just felt like it wasn't working. Um, hopped in bed and, and I ended up birthing him in our bed, um, which was pretty special. And, um, yeah, just got to, you know, snuggle him straight away and, and all those sorts of things. And um, I've got photos of him actually, you know, being born, which, again, with the girls, I never had that. It was just such a different experience. We had, you know, music playing and candles and all the, you know, perfect, you know, things type thing. There was a couple of times during the day that Rod had to go and do jobs. But instead of it being a 40-minute round trip from the hospital home and back again, it, you know, it was five minutes and he'd be back. So it just worked so much better for, for us and for our family and everything. Um, both Rod's parents were still on the farm with us nine years ago. So they milked that afternoon, but he still had to go up and feed the calves. So Jack was only a few minutes old and he was like, you know, I'll have to go. So again, you know, we still had that where he had to duck off. But yeah, instead of it, him being away for hours, it was literally, you know, half an hour and he was back again. It was just a completely different experience and my um, my postnatal uh, mood and, and recovery and everything was just so different to the girls. Um, 
you know, sleeping in your own bed, not having to share a room with a stranger in hospital. I mean, I, I know that they're, you know, minor things, but like you mentioned, for me, my environment, you know, is a really big thing. And so all of those things, it just, it was just such a different birth experience that just suited us so much better. And I just had the most amazing feeling of, wow, I just done that, you know, just incredible. Jack was my biggest baby. He was 4.3 kilos. So that was no easy feat either. (laughs) No. Um, And I remember screaming at the top of my lungs as I was birthing him. And I won't repeat what I said. But um, I remember thinking, well, I couldn't have said that in hospital. Like, (laughs) so exactly, exactly. And, you know, that whole thing of like, um, you know, a a lion roaring and a a mother in their power and stuff. I just... I just felt that so much um, that it just. I can yeah. I can absolutely relate to you, Tash, because I am a loud birther, and I'm sort of proud that I'm yeah. a loud birther. Yeah. Like, I mean, it kind of matches my personality as well, yeah. you know, and other things. Um, but you know, I remember my mum telling me. Uh, I, I remember telling her about my first birth, and. She's like, no, like, that's what you did wrong. You've got to internalize. You've got to push it in. And I just think it is very much that generation and beyond because um, misogyny, essentially. Um, Women are meant to be quiet and perfect and proper and being loud and hear me roar was unacceptable. Absolutely. And I I really think that that trickles down into birth. Um, I mean, we have amazing feminists like Millie Hill and uh, and the like that um, have well-researched this (laughs) and brought that to the table. But, yeah, I'm definitely with you there. There is something powerful about being loud in your birth, and I don't know what it is. I think it's about like it's it's literally having a voice and it's literally yes. you know just having having the power. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I couldn't agree more. Every pregnancy and birth is different and everyone teaches you something and everyone is a journey and Layla's was no different. You know, I had all this going on and I just thought we'll just home birth again with her. So tell me about your free birth because you couldn't get the midwife that you wanted. Yeah. So what now? So, yeah, so the midwife that we'd had with Jack had retired. We couldn't get her. And so we found another midwife but uh, who was a friend of, you know, this other midwife that we'd had, but she was three hours away. And so, you know, we obviously then had to go through all of that, you know, do we still – do we choose her? Do we go back to a hospital birth? What do we do? So it was a really big journey and and lots of research and decisions and all the rest of it. We initially decided to go with the midwife who was three hours away. But once I hit 30 weeks, one of my best friends is a doula. So she was going to be there as well. And my midwife who um, that we'd had with Jack had a birthing pool. So I had that to, to use. And there was just all these things that the doula and I and and Rod were talking about, well, what happens if this happens? What happens if this happens? At what point do we call the midwife? And at what point do we transfer because the midwife's not here and and all those sorts of things? And and the question came up, are we happy to free birth? Between the three of us, if the midwife can't get there, are we happy to free birth? And so for those, you know, 15 weeks of my pregnancy from probably 25 on, there was this just massive transformation in my mind around what birth is and and home birth and free birth and by about 30 32 weeks 
I was like, well, we're preparing for a free birth anyways because my midwife's three hours away. Um, so let's just go with that. So we decided to, to not um, engage with the services from that midwife. And, um, yeah, we, we free birthed, which was utterly amazing. Um, when you take everything and everyone away and you, you scale it back to just you. So Layla, again, I went through a few weeks. She was post-dates as, you know, all my babies. By now you think I would have learnt, but still <laughs> struggled every day. Um, why is this baby not here? <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I'd had a couple of days where I was like, you know, it's on, it's not, all those sorts of things as well. And then the, the night she was born, um, I'd been out visiting mum and dad. I was driving home. I was having a few contractions. I was like, oh, maybe this is it. I remember texting my doula, my, my really good friend, at about 11 o'clock. No, actually, sorry. I'd, I'd messaged her earlier in the afternoon and said, I think things are happening, but we'll see. And I messaged her at 11 and said, I think it's on. You better come. And then I went to bed and nothing kind of fizzled out again. I was like, oh, well, that's not going to happen. And then um, only like 10, 15 minutes later, I had this massive contraction. I thought, shit, we're on. This is it. And I got straight on the phone. I'm like, because she was 40 minutes away as it was. So I was like, you need to get here. Um, so Layla was born at 12.22, so it was literally like an hour and 20 minutes or less from me going, this is absolutely on. I remember waking Rod and saying, you need to feel the birth pull up for me. Can, can Hurry up, get up, feel the birth pull. And he was like, oh, we've got hours, you know, whatever. And I'm pacing the house and all the kids were here this time. And I was like, no, no, seriously, you need to get up and, and get the water happening. Um I was in the pool and I remember Lex, who would have been six at the time, and um, I think Rod had gone to to get something and I was having contractions and I was in the pool and I was holding her hands and just having that time. I remember sitting in the pool completely by myself, rubbing my belly, just saying, come on, baby, we can do this, you know, like it's time, I'm ready to welcome you, come on. Um, yeah, and it just it happened really, really quick and, and really beautifully and magically. My my friend, my doula, walked in the door at probably 12.15. Um, I, I am certain I was holding on, to her, on, on for her. <laughs> I remember calling her um, just prior to that and saying, where the hell are you? And she was like, I'm, I'm coming through town. I'll be there in a minute. And as soon as she walked in the room, I remember my contractions shifted. Um, you know, when, you, when you're birthing and you go from those progressing contractions to where we're, we're on we're pushing we're having a baby yeah. yeah and I remember her walking in the room and so I'm in the pool I was leaning on the side like face down if that makes sense and so my bum you know kind of on the edge of the water and I remember her touching my bum at one point and said the baby's going to come out really soon so just remember to keep your your bum down because we want to keep this baby in the water and I remember thinking oh it is coming like <laughs> <laughs> oh this is on um so Layla was born in about I don't even know you know three contractions it all happened really quick and um yeah so Rod was kind of behind me and, and he caught her I rolled over and he placed her up on my chest and so Lexi and Jack were both there for the birth Layla um Riley sorry had slept through it all wow. and the other two kids were there and again, you know, the feeling I'd had after birthing Jack, it was just amplified by 10, you know, doing it by, literally by ourselves. And I think, 
you know, when you take away, and I felt this a lot with Jack's pregnancy as well, but more so with, with Layla's pregnancy. And I still, so I was still seeing my GP throughout Layla's pregnancy. So I was still getting, you know, care and stuff, but just not as regularly. And when you take away someone telling you, yep, baby's fine, everything's fine, you really learn to go within and, and to really trust your body and trust your instincts. Um, at around, I don't know, 11.30, I'd gone to the toilet and I'd noticed that I had a bit of discharge that was a little bit yellow and I was like, mm, I know that that can be alarm bells. So I just need to keep an eye on that. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, what's the time? If this baby's not here in a couple of hours, you know, we might need to transfer. You know, we didn't have to anyways, but my point is that I wasn't completely stupid going into this. I was very, very mindful of, of, you know, all birth has risks, regardless of the fact that I'd birthed three before, you know, perfectly fine. All birth has risks and I know that and I understand that and I am respectful of that. But it's about trusting yourself and your instincts. What does that actually mean to trust your body? Yeah. So you can't just flippantly say, oh, I'm just going to trust my body and it'll be fine. Yeah. It's a bit more to it than that. And I think that's what really hurt me so much with the home birth and free birth. Like I said, I've not had anything directly to my face, but I've certainly had a few curly questions or, you know, weird interactions where I can feel people, I can feel their their birth fear put onto me. Yes. And, and it, it's hurtful because it's like you literally think that I just woke up one day and flippantly made this decision and that's so far from the truth. You know, I've done so much work on myself, my mind, my body in prepping for this. It's not just about waking up one day and going, I'm going to trust my body. I'm just going to birth a baby at home. There's so much more to it than that. So, yeah, I, I, that's hard to swallow sometimes when people kind of make those kind of you know, um, remarks and stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, it's, it's not just as simple as that or yeah, it certainly wasn't for me. There's a lot more that go into it. And like I said, when you take away those layers and peel it back to just you, you really learn to just go within and, and trust yourself so much more, which is what I done throughout that last pregnancy and, and Layla labor with Layla. (laughs) It's a bit (laughs) of a tongue twister sometimes. Um, yeah. And so again, you know, like, And I had this vision in my mind that I was going to have this really long labor again. You know, I I probably didn't want to get my hopes up that it was going to be any quicker. Um, The contractions right at the end of Layla's labor were only about a minute, you know, um, like 30 seconds to a minute. They weren't long contractions. And I remember thinking, oh, but like they're not going long enough. They're not, you know. But again, I didn't have someone checking me going, oh, you're eight centimetres, so, you know, you're not quite there yet. I didn't have any expectations placed on me. I didn't I didn't need that because I just trusted myself and my body and when it felt right to push, I pushed and, hey, presto, there's a baby. Um, Do you think it helped that you'd had babies prior to this experience? That's a tricky one. Look, if I'm being really honest, I think, like, it probably helped a little bit. But if I had had that journey with Layla as my first pregnancy and birth and done the research and all of that that I'd done, I think I would have been in that place back then and been able, I mean, every every woman's body is built to birth and I strongly believe that your body won't grow a baby that it can't birth. You know, you just need the right environment and the right support and the right knowledge around you to, to make that happen. So... 
yeah, regardless of first or fourth birth, I think that had I had that lead up and, and journey, I could have done it first time around. It is hard with birth when you don't know what you don't know. And I feel like you could probably do as much research as you liked, but I think until like you've really done it, felt it, been fully present, leaned into your instincts. I definitely don't think that that's something that's taught. I do think that that's just pure instinct. Explaining that to a woman who yeah. hasn't yet birthed could be very bizarre. Do you know what I mean? Because it's yeah, like you definitely. do go off to this kind of labor land and <laughs> you do really, even if you are roaring like a lion, you're still going within and you're still, you know, working with your body, body and mind yeah. connection. There is a, a huge power with that. But I wanted to ask you because free birthing, there is definitely stigma around home births and free births. I just somehow wanted to show people, um, you know, piss off the stigma basically yeah. because yeah. if you feel like a home birth or a free birth is unsafe for you, don't do it. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about that question once, you know, you'd emailed through the questions and thinking about while I was milking one afternoon, you know, my response to that. And absolutely, I'm not saying or, I'm, you know, certainly not advocating that anybody can free birth and not have an issue. If you are someone who have had high-risk births previously, then it's, you know, that's a no-brainer. It's not for you. I'm not saying be completely unsafe and... and or I, I even think it comes down to, you know, say you've got some anxiety around birth and things like a, a home birth potentially isn't for you and I've had this conversation with a doula before because there is a lot of brain work I'm gonna call it that goes into having a home birth or free birth yeah yeah and it's really like if you don't do those things you're probably just gonna end up transferring to hospital anyway yeah absolutely Um, yeah so there is a lot of work I think that's involved for for people to be able to do it and this is why I think it's so incredible though because for those that have done the work and really do like shave it back right down to basic physiological birth um and work with their body and mind you can have a really incredible experience birthing your babies at home and yeah essentially without medical care yeah absolutely and you know I'm not saying that you can't have an incredible birth experience at a hospital either. You know, the biggest thing is that women feel empowered and that they've made the choices, regardless of where or how or who you birth with. That's the biggest thing. For me, environment was a big thing. So for me, doing it at home was a big thing and who I had with me was a big thing that we'd chosen to free birth because I knew um, the reaction that we would get. And even with Jack, we hadn't told many people that we'd home birthed. And I remember sending a message out, you know, to our family and friends when Jack was born, baby Jack's here, healthy, blah, blah, blah. He was born in a, and I actually said in a planned home birth. And I remember getting a, a few replies from people going, oh, so do you have to go to the hospital now? What happens now? And I was like, why would I go to the hospital? I've just birthed a baby. Why, why would I need to go to the hospital? He's fine. I'm fine. I've got a midwife here, you know. But we're so, as a society, we're so accustomed to that's just what happens and and home birth and free birth is something that's not discussed enough or not talked about or explored enough and and all those sorts of things. Um, I, I don't, I've never had anyone say to my face 
or that's that was selfish or unsafe or any of those sort of things, which I'm probably pretty grateful for because um, I'd probably burr up a fair bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've certainly had people say things like, oh, I couldn't do that. And, oh, well, I couldn't home birth because X, Y, Z, because I, my, I have to have cesareans or whatever. And again, that's their journey and their story and, and whatever. And I'm not about comparing births. You know, it wasn't unsafe for us. It was a decision that I would make again. It was a decision that we made on a lot of research that we'd done, lots of, you know, talks with, with my doula, um, all those sorts of things. So it was and, – and the thing is too, it's not like I woke up one day and went, oh, I'm just going to pop this baby out at home. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It had come from months of, of research and – and prepping. Res- and prepping exactly and research is not really even the right word but um like you said brain work on myself and on rod because you know like, i told you his reaction when i wanted to home birth you can imagine when i said you know well, why don't we just free birth um you know and of course there's that thought that goes through your mind well what if something goes wrong i think every mother has had that thought right on the daily the kids are you know doing something well what if something goes wrong that's part of life there's there's risks we take and and we weighed up all our options and, and for us and, and certainly for my mental health and, and all of those reasons, it was the best choice for us. And, um, I mean, you know, as a mum, you love all your kids. Every birth is different and every birth teaches you something different. And I'm just so grateful that that I had that amazing birth with Layla because it, it really has healed me and, and, you know, the trauma from, from my previous, you know, well, my first birth definitely. So with your free birth, you know how baby then gets checked over and, you know, they do the APGAR scale yeah. and all this sort of stuff. What happens in a free birth? So, yeah, that was probably one of my biggest things with a free birth. What do we do? How do we cut the cord and, like, mm. um, yeah, checking the baby over and all those sorts of things. So we'd gone through every, you know, scenario and situation and, and planned all that. Um, I can't quite remember. We had – oh, I think I just bought surgical scissors from the chemist. Um I think my doula had been at a hospital birth a month or so prior, so she nabbed a couple of little uh, clamps for the umbilical cord. Oh, yeah. So we were like, oh, yeah, you know, we're all set. Um, Kind of the the blue book and the the check was kind of like, yeah, how do we – because, like, when you have a baby at a hospital, you get given a blue book, right? So – and, like, the other thing, to register a baby in Australia, you need to have – two witnesses i can't remember exactly so correct somebody else might be listening and think you're off your head you don't know what you're talking about but (laughs) i remember there was an issue because there had to be two witnesses other than the mother and the father to state that the baby was born yeah and i remember having an argument with someone from births and marriages going well the only other uh adult we had was my doula so she obviously signed it Uh, we i ended up having to get a stat deck or something from my doctor so i'd seen my doctor I don't know, during the week, Layla was born on the Saturday night. So I'd seen her during the week and I had an appointment on the Monday with her and because I was already post-dates and she was kind of saying to me, she didn't know my plan of free birthing. She knew that we were home birthing. Um, and I remember thinking, well, if, and she was saying, well, if you haven't had the baby by Monday, we might need to talk about some other options. And I was like, yeah, we'll see. Um, so I still kept that appointment and just rocked up with the baby and went, can you check my baby? Um, got the blue book then, and so because she'd seen me pregnant and then saw me with the baby, she signed a stat debt for the birth certificate. 
But I remember arguing with the person from Birth, Tests and Marriages going, well, my six-year-old was there. Is that good enough? And she's like, oh, no, well, it needs to be an adult. Well, my husband was there. Oh, no, it can't be the father. Sorry, what? He yeah. saw, he caught the baby? Like, yeah. it was just, it, and again, I might be wrong or maybe it's changed or whatever, but I just remember it being this ridiculous process to have to go through. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there, there were those few things logistically, how do you make that work? Because obviously when we had the home birth, the midwife just done all that, you know? And even, so people get a laugh out of this, but um, when she was born, well, how do we weigh her, right? I have a Thermomix, so we weighed her on the Thermomix. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's so good. <laughs> had the Varoma up top, put a little blanket, <laughs> teared the scales, popped the baby in, 3.6 kilos, there we go. Um, we had a, you know, a tape and we laid her out and measured her. It was actually really fun to do that for ourselves you know Rod wasn't interested I think he'd gone back to bed but me and my doula (laughs) you know done all that and um yeah because when when you have a hospital birth um you don't get to do that and I actually remember when Lexi was born the midwife who'd done all that must have been a smoker because I remember her walking into the room and she stunk of smoke And again, naive 19 year old me didn't say anything, but like even now that makes me cranky. Yeah. You know, my baby that's two hours old is getting handled by, you know, someone that smells like she's just had a cigarette. Yeah. Um, So yeah, doing all those sort of things was actually really fun, weighing her and and all of that. And um, yeah, so it's the logistical things with free birth that you kind of question. But it, it's totally doable. Um, yeah. I remember I was in a Facebook group of free birthers in Australia, so I got a lot of support oh. from them as well. Right. Yeah. Not in that group anymore and, you know, I don't know if there's something still available. There probably is. Yeah, so I had the support of other women who had free birthed and, you know, yeah. Because even just things like I remember asking, what do I do about a blue book? How does that happen? Where do I get that from? Um, yeah, so just having that support, you know, you can't you can't put a price on that. I've really enjoyed this, Tash. Awesome. And Me too. Yeah, I've learned a lot from you as well. And I think having being able to bounce um, birth conversation off you and, and, yeah, just your experience as well, I think it, it's pretty unique. It's pretty yeah. unique in my, my circles anyway. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and chatting about this and being so open and it's exciting. I can't wait to post it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health, please don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can find us at the power of birth on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, thepowerofbirth.net. If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode.